we saw last week that Jesus' intention when he got the message that Lazarus was sick, we saw that Jesus' intention was to wait until Lazarus had actually died before he went back to Bethany in order that the glory of God would be made known to Lazarus' household, to the other mourners, and to Jesus' own disciples. Specifically, if Jesus waited until Lazarus had died, the glory of the Son of God would be manifested as the one who overcomes death on behalf of his beloved. Those such as Lazarus, whom verses 3 and 5 tell us Jesus loved. Jesus waited instead of going. The glory of the Son of God would be manifest as he who raises the dead. In our passage this morning, John 11, verses 8 to 16, we read that after waiting sufficiently long, now, Jesus says in verse 7, let us go to Judea again. Again, as we saw last week, Bethany was only two miles, roughly three kilometers from Jerusalem, which is about the distance, as I said last week, from Shaphat Wildey to here. So it's not, it's not very far. You can easily walk there. It's certainly walking distance. Since the Jews had tried to arrest Jesus and kill Jesus at the end of John chapter 10, and since Jesus had withdrawn for that very reason, east to across the Jordan River, a return to Bethany, to the west side of the Jordan River, and to a couple miles from Jerusalem, meant returning to the danger of proximity to those who wanted to kill Jesus. These are the circumstances which prompted the disciples to protest and hesitate about Jesus' return. In verse 8, they say, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And in verse 16, Thomas says, Let us also go, that we may die with him. From the disciples' vantage point, returning to Bethany, returning to this proximity to Jerusalem, meant choosing danger, choosing risk, choosing vulnerability. The response of Jesus to their hesitation will be the focus of our sermon this morning. In verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. The thrust of what Jesus is saying here in these couple of verses is that while he is with them, it is time to work, regardless of the danger that poses. Let's explore this idea in greater detail, beginning with a review of the concept of Jesus as the light of the world. In chapter 9, and verses 4 and 5, Jesus had said, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In other words, until the crucifixion, it will be daytime. 
until the crucifixion, it is still then the middle of the work day. See, the Jewish day was divided up in people's mind into two segments, 12 hours of day and 12 hours of night. Of course, people didn't have wristwatches. They didn't pull a pocket watch out to check what time it was. They didn't check their phones. They didn't even glance at a communal clock mounted up on the wall of the barn or visible high up somewhere in the marketplace or something like this. They actually never knew exactly what time it was. And so they just considered their day to be composed of two units. 12 hours a day and 12 hours a night. Roughly half and half. 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Roughly. Was the way they conceived of the day. This is why Jesus brings in the aspect of 12 hours. Are there not 12 hours of the day? It's not that Jesus is making a precise calculation of time, but rather he's using the conventional category of thought of the people of his day to explain to his disciples that it's daytime and still, therefore, the middle of the workday. After all, the Jewish assumption was that he would work the daylight hours and that you would rest the nighttime hours. To rest during the daytime hours was unthinkable. So what Jesus is implying is that since he is still in the world, as the light of the world, it's still daytime. And therefore, it's still the middle of the workday. And so, as chapter 9 puts it, we must work the works of him who sent me. Well, it is day. It is this conviction that it's not a time for rest, but a time to work the works of him who sent him, which compels Jesus to return to Bethany to work in spite of the danger. Now, speaking directly to the issue of danger, Jesus says, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble. This is Jesus' way of reassuring the disciples that there's nothing to fear about returning to Bethany. Who is afraid of falling and hurting themselves in the daytime? Unless there are extenuating factors. We're not afraid when it's light and we can see where we're going and we can see where we're walking. We're not afraid of stumbling and hurting ourselves. We might hesitate to walk through a pasture with uneven terrain in the middle of the night, but in the daytime, there's no reason to be afraid. It's the, if it's the middle of the workday, and Jesus is with them, then there is no cause for fear because they're not going to fall victim to a hazard while walking in the light. This is what Jesus means when he says, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble. It's similar to what Jesus has said elsewhere in various places that my hour has not yet come. What did Jesus mean by his hour? We read him praying as his crucifixion drew near in John 12, 27, which we'll get to in due time. Now my soul is troubled, or now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And in John 13, 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. And in John 17, verse 1, 
Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And in Mark 14, 41, the hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Obviously, Jesus' hour was the time of his betrayal, his arrest, and his crucifixion. Interestingly, in John 7 and verse 30, which is long before his crucifixion, we, we read, They were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. When Jesus says, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, it's similar to saying, my hour has not yet come. There will be a time of danger. There will be a time of death. There will be a time when the powers of hell are permitted to temporarily overcome Jesus and his disciples. There will be night. The hour will come. But as of right now, my hour has not yet come. It's still the daytime. This hour at the beginning of John 11 is not the hour that will come. This hour at the beginning of John 11, the moment that they're in at the beginning of John 11, is an hour of daylight. It's the middle of the workday. And there is no danger of stumbling and sustaining injury then, for the light of the world makes the path safe. This is the thrust of what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Then. While Jesus is with his disciples, it's time to work. It's daytime. Regardless of the danger that that poses, they should trust that until it's night, they are absolutely safe. Until the time comes where Jesus says to his enemies, as he does in one of the other gospel accounts, this is your hour, the power of darkness. Until that hour comes, until night falls, they are walking in the daytime and there's no danger of stumbling. And it's time to do the word of him who sent Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples in this little section of John 11. And that's the end of our exposition this morning. I didn't say that's the end of our sermon. I said that's the end of our exposition. This is what the text means. How does this apply to us? The rest of our sermon will focus on application, but we need to understand first what's actually happening in the passage. And this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples in the face of their hesitation, in the face of their fear. It's still daytime. The hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. I'm the light of the world. I'm still here. It's still daytime. Therefore, two things. We must work. And until my hour comes, until it's nighttime, there's no danger. So let's go back to Bethany. That's what's happening in this little short section of text. How does this apply to us? Here are four considerations as we apply this text to our lives. First, it is not perpetual night now that Jesus has been crucified. 
the Spirit makes it day again. <laughs> Jesus said in John chapter 9 and verse 4, We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Did Jesus mean that after his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, it would be permanently and perpetually night, and that no one could evermore work the works of him who sent Of course not. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14 and verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So we are told explicitly that after Jesus' ascension, his disciples will also do the works that he did. To say that it's perpetual night now, when no one can work, would contradict the explicit teaching of Jesus, and it would render the whole New Testament nonsensical. For example, how could the Holy Spirit say to the church in Antioch in Acts 13 and verse 2, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. If no one can work anymore, now that Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, and ascended, the work of the apostles would be fraudulent. And the various commands to believers to do various kinds of works, the works of God in obedience to Him, empowered by His Spirit in response to the Gospel, would be vain. Because if no one can work, then why command us to do anything? So really the whole New Testament wouldn't make any sense if Jesus, when Jesus said night is coming, when no one can work, if what he meant was from the time of the crucifixion onward, that's it. No more work will be able to be done. Only when I am in the world, in my incarnate state bodily, can we work. After that, night, no one can work. That would make no sense. No. When Jesus was on earth in his incarnation, in bodily form, it was day. When he was crucified, it was night. Ever since he rose and then poured out his spirit upon us, it is day again. We are again in the middle of the workday. When then was it night? What period did Jesus refer to as night when no one could work? I suggest that it was the very short period between his crucifixion and his resurrection, during which time no works were done by the church. But rather the church was found hiding away in fear. Listen to John 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. But from that time onward, they were taught by Jesus for 40 days before he ascended. And then between his ascension 
and Pentecost. The disciples' mindset was to work. Listen to an excerpt from Acts chapter 1, where the believers, between Jesus' ascension and the outpouring of the Spirit, pray about who should replace Judas among the apostles. You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. You see, they realized that there was work to be done. They were in a work mindset again. Though Christ was not present bodily anymore, they had the words of Christ ringing in their ears. Lo, I am with you always. And they had the promise of Christ ringing in their ears that they should wait in Jerusalem until they were endowed with power from on high when the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And so they embraced in the resurrection of Christ the dawn of a new work day. It had been day, it was night, and a new work day was done. It is not perpetual night now that Jesus has been crucified. The Spirit makes it day again. That being said, Jesus does not negate the reality of night. There was night for the church collectively. And there will be night for each one of us individually. As Jesus had his hour, so each of you have your hour. There will be a time when it is the hour of your death. There will be a time when the power of darkness will take temporary ascendancy over you. There will be a time when you can no longer work. Jesus never declares to us that we will not suffer, nor that we will never die. In fact, he says, in this world you will have trouble. Through his apostle, Paul, later in his writing to Timothy, he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He acknowledges, even in our very chapter of study, John chapter 11, the reality of death even for those who believe in Him. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, though he die, yet shall he live. And we often focus on the yet shall he live, but don't miss the fact that Jesus says, though he die. He who believes in Jesus may die, may suffer, may be persecuted, no, Jesus does not negate the reality of night. The temporary ascendancy of the power of darkness over us when we cannot work. It was at one time night for the church collectively. Jesus was in the tomb. The church was powerless, not yet having been endowed with power from on high. Without clarity about what they should be doing, Trembling in fear of the Jews behind locked doors, night had come. 
No one could work. It was once night for the church collectively. And it will one day be night for you as an individual. Now consider this. We cannot infallibly know when it will be night for us. We cannot infallibly know when our hour will come. Jesus knew and could infallibly say, my hour has not yet come. But which of you can say that? Perhaps your hour is drawing nigh. Perhaps in a car accident or by, by a stray bullet that's happened so tragically just a few weeks ago here in Barbados. Perhaps because of a heart attack. Perhaps very soon night will fall upon you and you will be no longer able to work. You and I simply don't know infallibly when our hour will come. Jesus had the big picture for his life and for the church collectively. And on that basis, he reassured his disciples in John chapter 11 that they were in no danger of stumbling and getting hurt by returning to bed. On the basis that he had the big picture and could infallibly say, my hour has not yet come. It's not night yet, guys. Let's go to Bethany and work the works of him who sent me. Jesus was sure for them that going to Bethany was not a misstep that would cause a fall. We, by contrast, can never be infallibly sure that a tense situation won't turn deadly. We can never be infallibly sure that a certain endeavor won't lead to our hour. So what we don't do, what we must not do from this text, is say, well, it was light when Jesus was there, and it's light now that the Spirit is here, and just as they couldn't be harmed because Jesus is with them, so we can't be harmed because the Spirit is with us, what we don't do is just apply it in a direct, one-to-one -one correlation. Because Jesus was speaking about it was light for him, Jesus, as an individual, and because it was light for him and his hour had not yet come, and night was not falling upon him as yet, therefore, since he was the light of the world, it was also light for the church, collectively, and night was not falling upon the church collectively, and since night was not falling upon him nor upon the church collectively, it would be fine to go to Bethany, they wouldn't stumble, and they could do the works of him who sent Jesus. Jesus could infallibly reassure them that way. Now we know that it's not night for the church collectively. We know that Jesus, yes, was crucified, but was raised. We know that Jesus ascended. We know that he poured out his spirit, and that that was a gain for the church. Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away, because I will give you the help. We know that it is not night for the church. We know that it is not even drawing nigh 
for the church. But rather that Jesus will continue to build his church until his return, and the gates of hell will not prevail. You see, there is no nightfall coming for the church. The church will continue to be built by Christ Jesus until he returns, not to end the work of the church, but to consummate and complete the work of the church. When all of God's people will be called in, and all of his enemies will be put under his feet. The work of the church that we are doing and seeing progress incrementally will be brought to a definitive conclusion and completion at the return of Christ. Not a cessation of the work. And so we know that it is not night for the church collectively. But we don't know that it's not coming to nightfall for us as individuals. And that's a big difference between what Jesus is saying in this passage and how we need to apply this to our lives. We don't know entirely when night is coming for us as individuals when we make a longer work. The church's work will go on. But when night falls for me, my work will cease. The church's work will go on. But for you, when night falls upon you, your work will cease. And we don't know infallibly when that will be. And that reality often causes us to fear. It often makes us hesitate to work. As the disciples were hesitant to go to Bethany to work. They were afraid that nightfall was coming. And they didn't want to go anywhere where they might be in danger. They didn't want to choose risk. They didn't want to choose danger. They didn't want to choose vulnerability. Do you ever feel like that? I think so. We are often hesitant to work. Because we don't know whether us engaging in the work will lead to our harm, to our persecution, to the trouble that Jesus says we will have in this world, or possibly even to our death. And because we don't infallibly know that we'll be safe, we hesitate to go to our Bethany, as it were, to do our work. Because we can't have this infallible assurance from Jesus that it's going to be okay when we go there. We can't apply the assurance that Jesus gives to his disciples in that context directly to us. Then we hesitate to do the work that's in front of us. Because we might have trouble. We might be persecuted. We might even die. And so we hesitate to do the work. What if I try to work the works of God? What if I try to share the gospel with someone that I'm afraid of. They might cuss me, or they might cuff me. What if I try to serve someone of suspect character? They might take advantage of me somehow, stealing from me, or causing me bodily harm. What if I try to love my fellow church members the way that the scripture calls me to? 
I might get hurt. What if I cultivate the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. People might think I'm weak and take advantage of me. Now, better, better not to work the works of God because I might have trouble. Better not to work the works of God because I might suffer persecution. Better not to work the works of God because night may fall upon me. Jesus could infallibly reassure his disciples that night was not coming upon them because night was not coming upon him and therefore night was not coming upon the church at large. Jesus could say, look, we're going to be all right to go to Bethany. It's daylight. I'm the light of the world. If anyone walks in the day, he's not going to stumble. Jesus could infallibly reassure his disciples that it was day and night was not imminent upon their return to Bethany. Mark my words. Listen carefully. I cannot, I cannot infallibly reassure you that your night is not drawing out. I cannot reassure you that you won't suffer harm as you go up and try to work the works of God. What I can tell you, and we're coming here to our nuanced application of this passage, what I can tell you is that so long as you're here, it's the middle of the work day for the church. It is day for the church collectively. The Spirit has been poured out. We have work to do. Night is not falling upon the church. Night will never fall upon the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So you worry about persecution coming upon the church? It may come, but it will never stamp out the church. You worry about political changes happening in the world. They may happen. The worst possibilities may happen, but it will never stamp out the church. You worry about people's mindsets changing, about philosophical and ideological shifts happening in Western culture. They may come about, but it will never stamp out the work of the church because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So there is no night coming for the church. It's daytime. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. And the church is doing her work. And Christ is undergirding and empowering by His Spirit the work of the church. Such that she will find success. And you say, well, it says that evil men will go from bad to worse. Yes, it does say evil men will go from bad to worse. It doesn't say how many evil men there will be. So yes, the church is going to meet with opposition and resistance until Christ comes back. But if you look at what's been happening since Jesus ascended and poured out His Spirit upon the church, she has been growing exponentially. In the midst of Roman persecution, she was growing exponentially. Through all of the missteps and mistakes of the Dark Ages, she grew exponentially. 
in the midst of the darkness of the obscurity of the Roman Catholic Church, which had gone so far away from the gospel that their priests were going around selling indulgences to little jingles and ditties, like every time a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. How far does the church have to wander from the gospel to begin selling indulgences with little jingles like that? In the midst of that, the church was growing. People were being added to the number. Throughout the fierce persecution of the Protestant church at the time of the Reformation, the church grew exponentially. We sang earlier from Martin Luther, let good and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body, they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. You see, Luther had to face death. People wanted Luther dead. In fact, they wanted, they put him a situation where he was being set up to be killed and some of his friends kidnapped him on the way to that meeting and hid him away forcibly against his will so that he would be saved. You see, this was the danger that Luther was in. And he realized that it was worth it to do the work of him who sent Christ Jesus into this world. In spite of the danger, let good and kindred go this whole life also. The body, yes, they may kill, but look, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. There is no night coming upon the church. So long as you're here, night has not yet come upon you either. Which means that for you, it's still the middle of the workday. There's no night coming for the church, that's for sure. Yes, there's night coming for you, but it hasn't come yet, has it? So, so listen here to part of what Jesus says in John 11. Are there not 12 hours in the day? We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. You see, you don't have infallible assurance that night is not drawing nigh to you the way that Jesus gave his disciples in that particular context. Infallible assurance that going to Bethany was okay. But by process of elimination, have you died yet? No. Therefore, is it night? No. Therefore, what is it? Day. Therefore, let us work the works of him who sent Christ Jesus into this world. Well, it is day. Night is coming when you won't be able to work, but for now, it's day. Until it is night, whenever that may be for each one of us, we must work the works of God. Jesus embraced the day, and Jesus embraced the night in his own life. Again, I remind you of his prayer in John 12, 27, which I read earlier. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He knew his night was coming. At that point, he knew his night was coming. If you knew your night was coming, 
What are you going to pray? Father, save me from this hour? Jesus says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Jesus knew that the Father's plan for him was not merely to heal the sick, nor even to temporarily raise the dead as he did for Lazarus, who I say temporarily because he obviously died again later. Jesus knew God's plan for him involved these things and the cross. As the darkness encroached, Jesus' own soul was troubled. And ours may be too, at the thought of our hour drawing near. If somehow you knew that your hour was drawing near, you might pray with Jesus, now is my soul troubled. But what are you going to pray? Father, save me from this hour? As Jesus embraced the Father's plan for his life, so you ought to also. Jesus embraced the Father's plan for his life that he should not be a mere teacher, nor a mere bread supplier, nor a mere healer, nor even a mere temporary raiser of the dead as he was with Lazarus, but rather that he should be the giver of eternal life to those who draw near to God through him. Jesus embraced that which God had sent him into the world to be, and the events which God had ordained for him, and the mission and the purpose which God had ordained for him, and to be the giver of eternal life to us. He had to be the giver of his own life on the cross. And so Jesus embraced not only his day, but Jesus embraced also his night. Though he was uncomfortable with it. He lived for us. For us, not in the sense of for the fullness of our stomachs as he gave bread to the masses. Not for us in the sense of for our temporary healing and the prolongment of our earthly lives as he gave temporal healing to the people around him and temporal resurrection for Lazarus but for us in the sense of Jesus lived for us as the doer of the works of God. In the place of us who have not done the works of God. As we are. Jesus earned a righteousness for us by embracing the fact that it's daytime and therefore the work day and doing what God would have him do, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, year by year, until the culmination of his work happened as he hung on the cross and embraced the night that God had ordained. And then Jesus died for us on that cross, bearing the punishment that we deserve for our indolence and disobedience in doing the works of God. Jesus embraced this, the Father's plan for his life, that he should be not a mere teacher, nor a mere bread supplier, nor a mere healer, nor even a mere temporary healer, temporary resurrector, as he was with Lazarus. But Jesus embraced, rather, that he should be the giver of eternal life to those who draw near to God through him, 
He would give to us by giving up Himself. Jesus embraced the day, and Jesus embraced the night in His own life. We ought to do the same. We ought to embrace the Father's wisdom and sovereignty in determining our hour. And simply work in the meantime. C.T. Stad famously said, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Would you shrink back from the possibility of suffering and dying for the one who suffered and died for you? It may never be. Instead, embrace Stud's mindset and consider no sacrifice too great. And embrace also Whitfield's statement that we are immortal until our work on earth is done. You don't know when night is coming for you. You don't know when night is coming for you. But you do know that it is day now. And you do know that your Father is sovereign, and that not even a sparrow falls to the ground, apart from His will. And how much more value are you than of many sparrows? Which means that night will not come for you. You will not fall to the ground. You will not stumble by night, apart from your Father's will. So you don't know when night is coming. But you do know that it's day now. And you know that night will not come until it is your Father's will. So embrace the Father's wisdom in appointing your hour for you, whenever that may be. And trust, as Whitfield said, that you are immortal until that hour. And then make the most of the 12 hours of daylight, the work day. The world is lost. Go with the gospel. We've been given our mark, we've been given our marching orders. Make disciples of all nations. And then having made them, we baptize them, incorporating them into the church. And together in the church, we learn to observe all that Christ has commanded. This is the work of God. This is what Jesus was doing primarily when he was here. Calling people in. Laying the foundation, teaching them. And laying the foundation for them to learn to observe all that he would command both in his earthly ministry and through his apostles' life. What Jesus is after is the salvation of souls and then the maturation of those people in the context of the church until he returns. What Jesus is after is the building of his church. That's what Jesus is doing. This is the work of God. So do it.
brothers and sisters, for Christ's sake. Do it in obedience to Him. Do it in imitation of Him. Do it in response to what He has done for you. Yes, in this world we'll have trouble. Yes, in this world everyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. Yes, even if you believe in Him, you may die. Yes, there are real hurts outside the church and inside the church. Yes, there is difficulty in living the Christian life. But let us not be cowards. So afraid of stumbling and falling and having night come upon us that we won't work well as day. There's a verse in Proverbs. I can't cite it because it just came to mind now as I was preaching. But it, it says something like this. The, the sluggard lies in his bed and says there's a lion outside. In other words, he's so concerned about the dangers that might happen if he gets out of his bed and goes to work that he just stays in his bed all day. Let us not be so afraid of the lion outside. Let us not be so afraid that nightfall might come. Well, we, we can't go work now because night is probably drawing nigh. It's getting late in the day, probably, so let's just not work. Tomorrow, tomorrow. It's still day. It is still day. Let us not be cowards so afraid of the night that we won't work while well, it's the day. Let us instead put our own little spin on Thomas's words here, which are recorded for us in verse 16. And let us truly and sincerely and earnestly say, let us go with Jesus as he works the works of God. Let us go with Jesus as he works the works of God, even if it means 